BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong. I can change a diaper with one hand. You got the back, Jack. And Joe Getty. Joey, baby. I love you, Tiny people. Armstrong and Getty. But I know this. They're loco. So it's a hustle. Yeah, it's a hustle. Ah. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. In depth on a book that unfortunately you may not have heard of because nobody has reviewed it or nobody of note has, um, other than the Wall Street Journal. The Myth of American Inequality. It's got a former Senator Phil Graham and a couple economists wrote The Myth of American Inequality. You wouldn't review that in the New York Times or the Washington Post or NPR or any of your other corporate media because. Well, you're constantly pitching the whole we're the most unequal country on earth and it's worse than it's ever been. And you can't have some book come along that upsets the apple cart on that whole story. The, it's all about the narrative, baby. The main theme of the whole story is it's an accounting trick that makes it seem way worse than it is. If you take uh, the top 20% of earners versus the bottom 20% of earners, it looks like it's about 16 to 1. The top 20% makes 16 times as much as the bottom 20%. In reality, if you don't use the math trick, it's more like 4 to 1. That is, they count the earnings of the people, like say you make $500,000 a year, they count that as $500,000 a year and not the two fifty at best that you actually get to keep because the rest of it all goes into taxes. And then the bottom person who makes maybe $50,000 a year um, doesn't live on $50,000 a year. They pay no taxes on that and then get 
tons of money. On average, the bottom quintile gets something like $50,000 a year of some of that tax money from the top mm-hmm. group. So the the ratio is much, much, much lower than we're told it is. And then the biggest, the biggest stat out of that, and I want to make sure you hear this because it's absolutely amazing. They break it into quintiles. So that's 20%, 20%, 20%, 20%, 20%, top to bottom. The bottom 20%, because they get so many redistributed government monies, actually not working make more than the people working in that next 20% above and the next 20% above. Yes. So you would make more money. You'd have more money to you'd you'd have a better lifestyle. That'd be a good way to put it. You'd have a better lifestyle not working in that bottom 20 percent than the next 20 percent or 20 percent if you were working. Provided you've done a reasonably good job of taking advantage of the government programs that exist, some of which are not infusions of cash, but the absence of an expense. You aren't charged this or that or you have this subsidized or that. Absolutely. So it's it's shocking yet unsurprising that this book is out and not uh, not being reviewed at all. I don't know whether this is encouraging or discouraging. Honestly, uh, one of our brilliant listeners, uh, I'd like to give credit where it's due. Uh, it was oh, Paolo, frequent correspondent Paolo, uh, sent along an article from NPR that actually came out uh, going on five years ago. Is increasing income inequality a factor or a myth? You thought income inequality was rising dramatically, right? Well, so did I. In fact, maybe you thought so in part because I and journalists like me have been reporting it as fact for decades. But maybe we're wrong, all of us. That's the startling conclusion of a new academic paper making the rounds of the economics profession. And he goes into detail of that paper, which makes almost entirely the same points using the same methodologies as the book you're talking about. Um, by tax-based changes and missing income sources, uh, it makes a huge difference. Accounting for these limitations reduces the increase in top 1% income share by two-thirds. And that's a lot of reducing. So this has been known. And, and I'm, I'm, I try my very, very best to be honest with you. Whether something's an intriguing theory that is yet to be tested... Or something is so freaking rock solid, there's just no disputing it. And this is in that second category. So five years ago, NPR dared to print a very well-written editorial that has all sorts of charts and graphs and documentation and the rest of it. It's, It's quite long. Making the same point. I think the point of of the segment of Jack and I talking about this is it's amazing to see how a a handy narrative will endure in the face of all facts. Yeah, and um, I think, I don't know who wants to make the, I I said yesterday that I I wish Republicans would do a better job of making this point, was the Republican Party increasingly becomes the party of the poor working class. They're not going to want to make this point. So, and Democrats want always want bigger government and more wealth redistribution, so they're not going to make this point. So I don't know who's going to be out mm. there politically to make the point for you. Well, I would hope the Republican Party won't so lose its soul that it abandons the idea of opportunity and and having a country where people have opportunities to succeed as opposed to giving government checks. Well, how have I never seen the conservative on one of these talk shows make a pushback against these numbers, ever? I've never seen it. 
Hmm. And I watch a lot know, of these. Care. I, I watch know. a lot of these freaking shows. They don't count the two thirds. When you hear that income inequality is worse in the United States than any other developed country on Earth, sixteen to one. They don't count the two thirds of money, two point eight trillion dollars in transfer payments from the people who pay taxes to the people who pay zero to little. That's amazing, and they don't count the four point four trillion. That is taken through federal, state, and local taxes. So they don't count that in the numbers. So then if you do apply that to the numbers, you come up with stuff like this. The actual poverty rate for children is not what the Census Bureau says. 17.5% of our children live in poverty. We probably have a PSA on this radio station saying that. Well, and it's worth mentioning, this is the United States Federal Government Census Bureau. This is not AOC. This is a government agency. If you use the actual numbers where you include the transfer payments, child poverty isn't 17.5%, it's 3%. Then for oldsters, we have 1 out of 10 of our senior citizens live in poverty. It's not 1 out of 10, it's 1 out of 100. It's not almost 10%, it's 1% if you use those numbers. Because the average household in the bottom 20% received $45,000 in government transfer payments the most right. recent year that they have data. Let me bottom line it for you. Unless you have more. You want to have more on that? Because this is so important. Um, let Stay me, tuned for my bottom line. Uh, let me hit you with this again, worded the way they worded it, because maybe I didn't explain it correctly. Um, the bottom 20% of income uh, lived in smaller households than those in the second quintile and so forth. But the blockbuster finding is that on a per capita basis, the average bottom 20% household receives 10% more than the average second to the bottom 20% and 3% more than the middle 20% because of so many transfer payments of taxpayer money. Hmm. That can't be the way you structure society because it actually would be if I'm a father... I got kids. It would actually be detrimental to my family if I'm in that bottom 20% to go out and get a job to raise myself up to the next 20% or the next above that because I'd end up with less money. As purely an economic question, yeah, that would be unwise. You should not do that to your children. That's amazing. Improve your life. Yeah. Good good society. Now my bottom line, it's a two-part. Number one, the uh, the popular aspect of it, the media aspect of it. I thought that was so interesting from this NPR article. One tax professor friend considered the question so politically sensitive that he asked not to be quoted by name after having put it to me this way in an email when I asked if the research held up. Quote, there is a widespread public perception that the distribution of income and wealth has become so much more unequal, a consensus so strong that no one is really allowed to question it in public. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's like the climate change thing. You can't work at a university and say, hey, I'm not sure exactly that all these weather events can be you know, tracked back to climate change. You're not, you're no, not you'd have to run for your professional life. Right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So he and and he and several other people quoted in this article say, oh, yeah, unequivocally, this research is, is as sound as research gets. This, they're absolutely right. Uh, but nobody's allowed to talk about it still, still, which yeah, is good. astounding. Second thing, Bernie, mentioned that the census uh, people, the federal government itself is wildly, 
wildly fictionalizing the rates of poverty among children and the oldsters, etc. Why in the name of God would they do that? You must never forget this. Government is a for-profit industry. The people in government profit by it. If only by making a very handsome living and getting uh, nice pensions and having a fairly stress-free workplace. It is a giant for-profit industry. If I worked for an agency that was employed by we the people to deal with the tragic income inequality. Here's a simple A-B choice for you. Would I want to exaggerate how serious that problem is, thereby increasing my funding, my turf, my pay, my job security? Or would I like to point out that, hey, our agency is solving a problem that doesn't exist? Which do you think they would choose? I mean, duh. Obviously, I set it up to be incredibly obvious. Government is the biggest constituency of government. It's the most important constituency of government right now. Speaking of untenable ways to run a country. Yeah, it is the conundrum of government programs, as we've talked about many times. If you are failing at it, they're going to give you more money. If you succeed, you're going to get less. You don't want to go to people and say, hey, we're actually we've reduced poverty so much. We don't even really need any more money to to do this because it's worked so well. And so bizarre and so grotesque to extend what you're saying. If you've succeeded, you must claim to have failed or claim. You'd probably put it like, well, the circumstances have gotten so much worse in spite of our brave efforts to solve income inequality. It's actually gotten worse. So we'll be needing at least 20 percent more in our budget. That is the reflexive, never ending, unavoidable way government operates. That's the status quo, Joe. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. But resist, we must. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I don't want to use up our time because we've gotten so many texts since you told us about the weight loss drug, oh, yeah. including people saying, hey, I don't care how expensive it is. I lose all my weight. I stop taking it and then I keep it off. Well, right. And it could save you on health costs anyway. Oh, good so one. the FDA is expected to grant approval to uh, a brand new drug called terzepatide. Uh, that would join two other popular and expensive recently approved weight loss drugs, Wagovia and Sexenda, both from Novo uh, Nordisk. I think Putin invaded Wagovia. Here's the problem. Outside experts say it's possible the drug maker could uh, price uh, the drug similar to the current drugs, which carry a list price of $1,500 a month or $1,350 for the other one a month. It's certainly going to be around $1,100 a month. The drugs have been shown in clinical trials to be highly effective for weight loss. All three drugs, which are given as injections, work in oh, a similar way. So I got to get a shot once a month. I get jabbed all the time anyway. Uh, da, 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 da. There are a class of drugs called GLP-1 agonists, which mimic a hormone that helps reduce food intake and appetite. The new interzepatide also imitates a second hormone called GIP, which, along with reducing appetite, may also improve how the body breaks down sugar and fat. Oh, wow. Here you go. Oh, wow. Phase three clinical trial found a high dose of terzepatide helped patients lose 22.5% of their body weight on average, or about 52 pounds. 
Well, the we all want to lose fat though, so it's not making a shed muscle. Or well, first of all, is this no, one of those, dissolve your bones? Is this one of those drugs where you got to wear plastic pants because you're pooping yourself all day long? <laughs> That's right, never ending poopage. No. Um, Fecal matter. All right, That's first right, time the great the Johnny Depp there. Yeah. <laughs> That's a part of our our co clip of the year last year. The guy who sent us that clip originally. Um, Said, uh, I'm really proud of this moment, and it's I'm fine with sharing the honor, etc. So thank you, sir. <laughs> anyway, uh, so most patients in the trial had a body mass index BMI of 30 or higher, which is like kind of porky. I'm right around That's 30, funny. as I, I recall. Was, I was at the Golden Corral. My kids wanted to go to the Golden Corral to eat the buffet the other day. And uh, I texted somebody, there's not a, the average BMI in here is 35. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and it was. Oh, boy. Oh, da, 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 da. insurers are hesitant to cover this stuff, even though losing weight is really good for your health, generally speaking. Um, so that's to be worked out. Medicare does not cover them. Um, bah, 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 bah. Nah, Obesity is considered a chronic illness, though. And like any other chronic illness, most patients are expected to take medication for their entire lives. A great financial burden if they're forced to pay out of their pocket. Well, I, I hate socialized medicine, uh, period. Uh, we, we've got some stats we could bring you about how we already have socialized medicine uh, with some new info. That's out. But, I mean, if you are going to accept that, you know, the... Medical system is going to work the way it is, where we're all sharing the costs. Got the number one driver of costs has got to be obesity right now. Yes. Oh, yeah, clearly. Uh, so we will post this article at armstrongandgetty.com. Give us a few minutes. What's interesting is that it doesn't. It says that not everyone responds the same way to any given weight loss drug, but these are better. But what's not clear to me is can you go with a much less expensive maintenance dose? At some point down the line, ah. or do you? It just it says most like any other chronic illness, most patients expect to take the medication for their entire lives, but they don't address specifically whether that's the case with this drug. So it's you know your typical fairly shoddy journalism. Thousand dollars a month for the rest of your life is not great, although thousand dollars a month uh, for six months before your wedding, or uh, you're recently single, or think of a number of. I'll just buy a girdle and wear black. I'll be <laughs> so we got a few texts from people who have tried the new miraculous weight loss drug. And I hate to even say that because as soon as you say that, it's, uh, yeah, there's a gazillion of them. Go to your local nutrition shop. There's a million miraculous weight loss drugs. But you're saying this is a new, for real, works, going to be very expensive Tests yeah. have been done. Yeah, they were originally uh, diabetes drugs, uh, trying to save people's lives by reducing appetites and help them process sugar and that sort of thing. That's the very brief explanation. Uh, well, one of them here, Wagova or whatever it's called, um, this guy's wife takes it. It's the injection you were talking about. It's like an EpiPen, so it's not hard to do. Once a week, she injects herself. She's been on it for six months, lost 20 pounds. The key is that your appetite is significantly suppressed, which is what we all want. We just want to not be hungry as often. So it's recommended that you use protein shakes as a supplement for protein intake. The challenge is not to use carbs or fats as an alternative you know, for what you're eating. Mm-hmm. Um, no major side effects so far. You don't have to wear plastic pants. Because you're pooping all the time, just constantly, ah, okay. all day Thanks. long, every yeah, day. Just, you can't stop. Yeah, right, it's yeah. just, you're just like a, hmm. <sighs> no subtlety there. <laughs> not much. Armstrong and Getty. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Armstrong and Joe Getty. I forewarned you. Let's go, Brandon. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm on a roll of being extra self-righteous today, and I can't decide if I should get off that horse or just continue riding it into the self-righteous sunset. <laughs> I don't know. If you got a groove going, let that groove go. But um, I smell a rat to a certain extent in the fact that the New York Times and the USA Today both have their big cover story articles about homelessness in California the same day. That seems a little coordinated. It's like when you flip on the cable news and and every politician from one party is using exactly the same phrase, and you know yes. that they were sent a you know a cover sheet of what to say. S- somebody I don't know from the homelessness industrial complex that is worth many billions of dollars uh, got USA Today and New York Times to do a big article about homelessness in California the same day. Anyway, I was complaining about the article in New York Times and that they never mention at any point drug addiction. Doesn't even you know not not at any point. And uh, and and talk about how people can't afford to live where they live, and you know the homeless shelters won't allow to have dogs, so it, so they have to live in the rain and all these different sort of things. This one in the USA Today also pisses me off. They have this nice-looking blonde, young blonde girl on the cover of USA Today in the headline. For many, being homeless is a world of in between, and they describe this chick's situation. She's 28 years old. Her last steady residence was her college dorm. Okay, so first thing you think is she went to college. How'd she end up Mm -hmm. homeless? She's tried for years to find an apartment she can't afford and sometimes sleeps in her grandmother's garage in Culver City, California. That's your focus person 
for the awfulness of homelessness. Culver City, if you're not from the L.A. area and don't know, is situated between Beverly Hills, Marina del Rey, and Santa Monica. One of the more expensive parts of the world to live in. (laughs) She can't afford to live there with whatever college degree she got, and so she sleeps in her grandmother's garage, which ain't exactly homeless. Um, So I just feel like as a society, if we're going to have discussions about homelessness, we got to start dividing these things out or have a criteria. I'm willing to go with any story that includes, uh, you know, you had a health cost that bankrupted you and now you can't afford to live. But it also better include you looked for a job somewhere where it's cheaper to live. Maybe it's because I moved around as a lot as a kid that that it bothers me so much that people feel like they have a God-given right to live in some of the most expensive cities in America no matter their you know their qualifications for a job or the cost of an apartment or anything, you can't possibly go live somewhere else that's cheaper. You got to live in San Francisco or San Diego or wherever no matter what and if the taxpayer doesn't provide you a way to live there, then you are being wronged by society drives me crazy i'm living in a tent crapping on the sidewalk because i just can't afford a five thousand square foot apartment overlooking central park on park avenue it's a tragedy an american tragedy yeah how how narrow do you want to focus it yeah that i'm i'm only willing to live on uh central park west i'm not willing to live anywhere else and i can't afford any of these places they're very expensive so that's why i'm on the street and why haven't you provided me a shelter yet taxpayer yeah, I know. Every time we talk about this, say, people say it's expensive to move. It's hard if you're poor. I, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I, I don't lack sympathy. It was expensive but... for me to move when I was poor, too. Like, really, really expensive. My dad came and helped me load all my stuff in my hatchback and move to a... You know why I moved from Kansas City to Hayes, Kansas? Because I couldn't afford to live in Kansas City anymore with the job skills that I had. So I moved to a place where it was really freaking cheap to live. Yeah. Yeah. Why Why does nobody do that anymore? You don't have a right to live in San Diego. It's cool to live in San Diego. It'd be awesome if you could afford it. But if you can't afford it, you got to live somewhere else. Yeah, I know. I know. How is that not even a paragraph in any of these discussions? <sighs> I'd love to spend an hour inside the head of a progressive person who won't even mention drug addiction for instance or the fact that these are the most expensive places on earth or be honest about the fact that many people come to these beautiful locations partly because they're beautiful and partly because they have lavish services for people living in tents etc um i would love to know how your brain works are you willfully ignoring that is it is it like i push off my own mortality i'm aware of it but i prefer not to dwell on it or are you completely unaware of it or, or, or are you completely aware of it and you're just being dishonest because you think I have to be dishonest to get the right thing to happen? How does your brain work? Well, uh, maybe, you know, I, I, I am fairly uh, hard-hearted toward, uh, you know, um, finding a way to survive in the world. Um, but your, your feature person, the most sympathetic person you can come up with to put as a picture on the front top of the fold on USA Today is a 28-year-old who went to college who wants to live in a really expensive city but has to sleep in her grandma's garage. That's the most sympathetic character you can come up with. Boo freaking who? Not exactly, you know, uh, uh, touching my heartstrings there. So you combine the 
crowd that's they're drug addicts. That's how they ended up homeless. Okay, that's a problem. We got to figure out as a society what to do with that. But that's a difference. And then you combine that with the but I want to live someplace cool crowd. Okay. But if you can't afford to live someplace cool, that ain't my fault. No. No, indeed. 60 Minutes a couple of weeks ago uh, did a feature on, uh, there's a book out about it, The Next Great Extinction or something like that. They say we're headed toward something as big as when the dinosaurs went extinct. Of course, the dinosaurs went extinct because an asteroid hit the Earth, but um, that we're doing it to ourselves this time. And one of the doctors, or doctors, PhDs, that they... Uh, used uh, for the 60 Minutes piece, Dr. Paul Ehrlich, you might, if you're old enough, you remember him, he wrote The Population Bomb back in the 60s, which was a huge book, and a lot of people bought into it, and he was under the impression that as soon as we hit 4 billion people, the Earth couldn't sustain it, and we would all starve to death. And, of course, that was 4 billion people ago, because we now have 8 billion people, and we seem to be doing okay from a famine standpoint. But so, so he was wrong about that. And, Completely, uh, tragically wrong. Yeah, but now he's on 60 Minutes explaining how we're about to have another great extinction. Hey, the last time you became nationally famous, you were completely 100% wrong. But to show you how crackpotty he was back in the day, mm-hmm. here is an interview from 1970. He's a Stanford professor. Now, uh, given the population explosion, let alone in this country, what can the government, what ought the government to do about this? Well, what it ought to do is this. The first thing, you want, you don't want to put, I, I'm against government interference in our lives. You want to minimize that. So the very first thing the government should do is try and take the pressure off to reproduce. There's a lot of pressure in our society now to reproduce. If you're single, people try and push you into getting married. You know, uh, you, your wife, you have a, a, a bachelor over and your wife says, gee, shouldn't I have a nice girl over? The idea is, you know, nobody should escape. So there's pressure to get married. <laughs> Young couples, if they don't have children, people say, gee, they must be sterile. They never say, gee, maybe they like uh, good wine and going to the theater and so on. They prefer that to scraping diapers. So there's pressure to have children. <laughs> so the first thing that should happen is that the president ought to say, from now, here on out, no intelligent, patriotic American family uh, ought to have more than two children, preferably one, if you're starting a family now. Not, not any law, but just say, this is what responsible people do. He ought to make the FCC see to it that large families are always treated in a negative light on television wherever they appear. <laughs> there ought to be a tremendous amount of television time devoted to spot commercials, the sort we've had against oh. smoking. Uh, but ones in the middle, say in the middle of Beverly Hillbillies, you get a scene which shows Los Angeles in the smog and it just says this city has a fatal disease. It's called overpopulation and so long. Uh, now that sort of campaign, you could, you could have a census, a sample census, which would see whether that was having a desired effect. If that didn't, you could move to giving women bonuses for not having babies. That almost certainly would do the job. If that didn't have the effect, then you could move to changing the tax structure uh, so that people who had the money and had the children paid for the children. In other words, you would increase taxes on people with children rather than decrease them since they, when they have the children, they require more services. If that doesn't work, uh, then you'll have the government legislating the size of the family. And people say, oh, that's impossible. Government can never intrude and tell you how many children to have. Well, I got news. You know, it intruded a long time ago and told you how many wives you can have. Uh, and there's not the slightest question that if we don't get the population under control with voluntary means, that in the not-too-distant future, the government will simply tell you how many children you can have and throw you in jail if you have too many. <laughs> you know, I had been aware that he was constantly idiotically wrong. I had not realized what a complete flaming crackpot he is. <laughs> well, that's so... Oh, my God. So I didn't see the 60 Minutes episode, but I saw the reaction to it on Twitter. Yeah, me lot, too. And a lot me of people too. who know him were like, 60 Minutes just featured this guy? 
this guy, and then they got into the stuff about how they should have <laughs> television should always feature large families in a negative light. <laughs> the FCC should mandate that constant spots. <laughs> And then eventually the government will have to mandate the number of children. Good Lord. This guy is like a constitutional crackpot, a moral crackpot, a logistical crackpot. He's inventing new ways of crackpottery. And they featured him on 60 Minutes for their big word. Currently. Currently, uh, two weeks ago. Oh, my God. (laughs) Isn't that hilarious? Wow. The FCC should uh, regulate television, so all television shows must portray large families in a negative light you should be in jail you're too dangerous to not be in jail that was a tour de force of a bizarre and ugly crack pottery it's amazing how off track really really intelligent well educated people can be oh yeah as thomas sowell said there's some ideas so ridiculous only an intellectual could have them and so uh, so that guy, when he was young and his brain worked really well, he's now in his 90s. I'm supposed to listen to him now in his 90s on 60 Minutes and take it to a, as fact, everything he was saying. He's, you know what, it's funny, listening to that tape, he was like a 21st century irresponsible bomb-chucking talk show host. Right. Just ahead of his time. That's his career, making bomb-chucking, wild-ass predictions and then selling books and doing the interview circuit. And if that doesn't work, the government should legislate the size of the family. Yeah, ask Chairman Mao how that worked out. And look at the modern world, you crackpot. Things are fine. In fact, many Eastern and Western civilizations are dying. China might be in a rapid cycle of death within a decade. They've got such incredible demographic problems. God, that is hilarious. It is hilarious. That was amazing. Hilarious, except for, you know, it's frightening as hell. If you end up with too many of those people, and they end up in charge. Holy crap. Armstrong and Getty. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, 
assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Armstrong and Joe Getty. On a personal privilege. Don't get brazen with me. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I came across this story a couple of days ago, and it bothered the hell out of me. It's a story about uh, Lieutenant Ridge. His, his first name's Ridge. Get over it. Alconis, who's uh, who is serving rather on a guided missile destroyer uh, in. Uh, Japan, where my my brother was stationed in the Navy for several years. He was driving with his family back from a trip to Mount Fuji, which sounds wonderful. And, And in fact, my brother and his family embraced being in Japan. They didn't sit on the base. They thought, wow, what a wonderful opportunity. We're going to have the kids uh, learn uh, Japanese and learn about Japanese culture. And in Lansing, we're going to explore the country. We're going to do our best. We're going to have an adventure. And they had a great adventure. So anyway, this guy and his uh, his wife and kids, uh, and he has three children. They go to see Mount Fuji. He's driving back, and he falls unconscious as he's driving. And that caused a wreck in which two Japanese citizens died. It's a tragedy. Absolutely a tragedy. Absolutely no one alleges drugs or alcohol were involved. What's the age of um, this guy? He is, uh, oh gosh, how old is he? How old is he? It doesn't say. He's, I believe, in his early 30s, something like that. He's a young man. That's a rare thing to have happen. Yeah, well, indeed, uh, a Navy neurologist said that the lieutenant had suffered from acute mountain sickness. He was up there at a high altitude, and driving back down, he passed out. I didn't know that was a thing. And again, in a tragic, tragic, you know, car accident, while his family was okay, two other people died in the accident. But the tragedy, quoting from the Wall Street Journal, is cascaded into a larger fiasco. And and I'm going to depart from the text here and just explain a, a little bit. There have been a couple of high-profile cases um, in the recent years, last decade or so, um, whether on Okinawa or, uh, or the Japanese mainland, where American service people have behaved very, very badly, including uh, a couple of sexual assaults, some, some uh, drunk driving, that sort of thing. And the Japanese people uh, have grown uh, very, very resentful of U.S. service members behaving badly, which I get. But what looks at, well, I'll, I'll return to, to the text now. You need to understand that situation. Uh, The tragedy is cascaded into a larger fiasco. Lieutenant Alconis was arrested and held in solitary confinement for more than three weeks. He was not even given a medical exam that would have that might have exonerated him. Mm. 30 members of Congress have uh, written a letter to President Biden. uh, A spokesman for the embassy of Japan says the government adhered to the status of forces agreement and its agreed minutes during the process. In short, this guy was is stuck in jail and will be for quite some time because, and I should point out, he's, he's uh, of the Mormon faith. He doesn't drink. He doesn't do any drugs. Uh, he is as clean as a clean guy could be. He's expressed remorse. 
Um, he is paid. He has cobbled together $1.65 million. And lieutenants in the Navy don't make squat. But through donations, family, insurance, and a bunch of stuff, he's paid $1.65 million in restitution to the families of the victims. But he's still rotting in jail. Three years in prison, which he began in July, mostly because no Americans in the higher-ups, whether in uh, the government or the Navy, want to go to bat for this guy because it'll cause uncomfortable discussions with the Japanese government. All right, so we got an American being held not in Iran or North Korea or Russia, but one of our strongest allies. Yeah, yeah. And this poor son of a gun. Man, he think got he altitude could... sickness and he passed out and that's it. And he's got three little kids and he's rotting in jail now and not being treated terribly great, according to some accounts. Man, you'd think you could get that worked out behind the scenes with a friend. Yeah, yeah you do. Oh, uh, let's see. Naval Chief of Operations Admiral Mike Gilday said, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's very tough for Alcona's family, but, quote, you have to balance that against justice. It's not an easy problem. And U.S.-Japan negotiations were way above his pay grade. That's the Chief of Naval Operations. Um, and then I like this. This editorialist in the Wall Street Journal, credit where it's due. Oh, it's from the editorial board. They ask a hell of a provocative question. Would the admirable have sounded off so casually if a case involved a woman service member detained in Saudi Arabia? This isn't a rhetorical question. Thousands of Navy sailors stop at ports in the Middle East, and the U.S. has an interest in ensuring none are perceived as vulnerable to the whims of local justice. They point out military officers don't have license to behave with impunity, and crimes by U.S. personnel on Okinawa have eroded Japanese support for hosting U.S. troops. Sure enough, but... Again, and this is what makes me so crazy, and and both Jack and I come from military families, so maybe we're a little more sensitive to this sort of thing than most, but we are sending a message to our service people and our would-be service people, our would-be recruits, that if something awful and not your fault befalls you while you're serving the stars and stripes in a foreign land, we will leave you to twist in the wind or sit in jail so it's not uncomfortable for the higher-ups. So nobody in the State Department has to break a sweat. Why don't you rot in jail while your kids ask, where's my daddy, having done nothing wrong, so we don't have to get into an uncomfortable conversation with the Japanese government? It's just a horrible message to send to our people. It just bothers the hell out of me. So anyway, we'll post this article. I don't think you'll get paywalled since we're sharing it. It's in the Wall Street Journal. but um, And you know what? Uh, maybe during the commercials, I'll dig up uh, some links for you and get them to executive producer Mike Hansen. Uh, if you want to support this guy or bang the drum or, or make noise in Congress, we can't do this. You know, maybe one of the reasons that I'm, I'm especially sensitive to this is not only is my brother stationed overseas for quite some time, but uh, I was born when my dad was stationed overseas. And the idea that if my dad had had an epileptic seizure or something like that, God bless him, um, and it, uh, it killed some people on an Italian highway, that's where I was born, um, that I wouldn't have had a daddy for the first three years of my life because our diplomats are too lazy to, to intercede with the Japanese and make clear, look, We'll hammer the guys who, who commit crimes. We will we'll make them wish they were in the Japanese justice system. I have no problem with that. But if one of our people innocently has a tragedy befall them, we're not going to let them twist in the wind to avoid, again, the diplomats breaking a sweat that pisses me off. Armstrong and Get- 
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.